Hey, it's Chris Freeland, and you're listening to the Doxology Bible Church Podcast. If you want to know more about who we are or learn to connect with us, please visit doxology.church. Most of all, we hope the following message will help you take the next step in your faith journey, whatever it is. In Scripture, it says that Stephen looked up to heaven and he saw God, and he saw Jesus standing next to his father, looking at him, which was confirmation that in this moment when Stephen is dying, he saw Jesus. And that was exactly what I needed to hear so that I could know that when whatever was happening to Molly, that she knew that he was with her. And that in an instant, from the moment she was alive to the moment she died, she was in the arms of Jesus. And and that's what I carried with me to help quiet the fears that would come up in my mind. She wasn't alone. He was with her in that moment, and she has been with him ever since that moment. Doxology Bible Church is proud to present EverStory, launching wherever you listen to podcasts on June 6th. EverStory is a weekly, seasonal podcast featuring Christ-centered stories of hope and transformation, told by people just like you. No chit-chat, just raw, powerful stories. Stories inspire us to connect with each other in real, tangible ways. With stories, we're able to glorify a God who relentlessly pursues us. Mark 16:15 tells us to go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole of creation. Stories embody who we are as Christians. Without them, Paul's letters would have never been shared. Without stories, a person with Christ in their heart might never find the courage to bring the word to their neighbor. Without stories, the Great Commission never occurs. Check in with us often as we introduce stories about the way Jesus' radical love is moving in truly awesome ways. Find EverStory wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, follow Doxology Bible Church on Facebook or Instagram at Doxology Bible. Want to share your story or know someone who might? Send us an email to stories at doxology.church. Because everyone has a story. Hey, it's Chris Freeland, and you're listening to the Doxology Bible Church Podcast. If you want to know more about who we are or learn to connect with us, please visit doxology.church. Most of all, we hope the following message will help you take the next step in your faith journey, whatever it is. Good morning, Doxology. Happy Independence Day to you. We're glad to have you tuning in with us this morning. You know, we love famous last words. Have you ever noticed that? In keeping with the Independence Day theme, uh, we all know of Nathan Hale, the American patriot, who famously said, I only regret that I have but one life to give for my country. Harriet Tubman gathered family around her as she knew she was about to die, and they sang the hymn, Sweet Low, Sweet, Sweet Chariot. Those being her last words as she passed away shortly after that. Leonardo da Vinci's last words were this, I have offended God and mankind because my work did not reach the quality that it should have. You know, I agree. The Mona Lisa should have been much bigger than it actually is. I think for all of us, we recognize that a person's last words can be significant, both in terms of what they lived for, but also what they hope to continue on after they're gone. 
These words, in some ways, reflected a life that all three devoted to people and to a purpose bigger than themselves. And today what we're going to do is we're going to wrap up our study of 2 Timothy that we've called No Regrets. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy, in some ways, are Paul's last words. He's writing to Timothy, whom he considers a son. So there's this strong love and affection throughout the letter and this desire to see him accomplish what God wants for, for, for Timothy, to live in such a way that he would have no regrets. Parents, grandparents, uncles, aunts, many of us can relate with this desire, right? We look at the younger generation, and there's so much that we hope to be able to tell them that would help them to live their lives better than our own. Hey, avoid that temptation. Spend more time with people or, or, or spend more time in nature. Don't invest in that GameStop stock. We want to impart some wisdom and insight, and that's what we have here in 2 Timothy. We've seen his last words remind us that life with no regrets will risk, that it must avoid complacency. And last week we saw, as Brian reminded us, of the resources to utilize, both God's people around us, but also God's word that he's given us to live the kind of life that we truly want. Here in chapter 4, we see Paul's conclusion to Timothy and to us that a life of no regrets is about finishing strong. Think about this for a minute. This is Paul, the person who wrote half of the New Testament, who planted churches, trained leaders, sacrificially loved so many of those early Christians, giving us his last thoughts about the type of life he would urge Timothy and all who would follow Christ to live. Regardless of where you find yourself this morning, whether you're young and have lots of life ahead of you, or you're older, as one of my more mature friends would say, are in the fourth quarter of life, as we complete this book, we each have time remaining to stay faithful, to finish strong, and complete what the Lord has placed before us. As Tolkien famously stated, all we have to do is to decide what to do with the time that's been given to us. We all have the ability to make that decision, to decide what to do with today. So let me ask you a question. With the time that you have left, what's one thing God would want you to devote your life to? It's one thing that God would want you to devote your time and your life to. What's the one thing? Is it learning the banjo? Bench pressing 300 pounds? I respect that goal. I could probably work on that. One of the things we see is that Paul informs Timothy and us uh, that that a, a good life story has a few key components to it. And we see that in chapter four. In every great story, there's a task to accomplish. That's the first thing. There's, there's a task to accomplish. The main characters have before them some quests that they have to complete. There's a ring to be destroyed, an empire to be defeated, a snowman that needs to be built. Okay, maybe Olaf isn't the main purpose of Frozen, but my memory's a bit fuzzy on that one. Every great story, though, includes a task to be accomplished. In verse 1 and 2, we see the task that Paul gives to Timothy. Let's look at what it says. It says, In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. Here Paul charges Timothy, but first he reminds him that the Lord is judge over all. Paul is reinforcing how serious and somber this task is that he's giving Timothy. This is no laughing matter. See, God is the judge over all. 
reminding us that, that we each will give an account to him for how we lived. I know for some that makes you anxious to think about, that you'll stand before God and go through every detail of your life and feel guilt and shame again and again. When I played high school football, and I know that surprises some of you, but yes, I did, and they even let me go in sometimes. Um, but each Saturday after our games, we would have a film session, and we would re-watch the game, and usually we, we all hated it. Because every mistake, every misstep, every boneheaded decision that you would make would be re-examined, and you'd get yelled at again by your coaches, sometimes ridiculed for it. But that's not this. God isn't saying, you'll each stand before me uh, for me to blast you for all the mistakes you made. Instead, you'll give an account of your faithfulness, how you use all that he gave you in order to reward those moments of faithfulness. For those who are in Christ, the image is much more of a rewarding stand. Think of an Olympian who wins a medal. That's, that's more of what the image is that Paul is referring to, more than some type of film session where you get ridiculed. That's a reminder here. This matters for eternity, Timothy. That's what Paul wants to make sure he understands. Now the charge or the exhortation is to preach the word. That's the publicly proclaim God's word. The idea would be to, to preach is, is similar to what we're doing here. But more broadly, it's to correct or oppose false teachers who would publicly teach things or say things that were untrue about God, Christ, and salvation. You know, last week, Brian reminded us of the importance of this book, that no other book is God-breathed. And as a result, for all of us, we should be people who are devoting our lives to it. We're reading it. We're listening to it. We're memorizing it. We're studying it, teaching it, and preaching it to others. That should be true of all of us. And notice, Paul doesn't tell him to do so just when it's convenient, just when it's easy, just when it feels right or it's natural or people are responding. No. Instead, he says, in season and out of season. See, regardless of the reception, the expectation is perseverance, it's faithfulness. Notice it's not success. The world will look for what you have accomplished. What was the response? What's the return on investment? What were the test scores before and how much have they improved after? The focus for a follower of Jesus, though, is faithfulness. Seeing this charge to preach being the one thing, the one thing, that Paul wants Timothy to devote his life to. It should beg the question for all of us. All of us should be asking this question. What is it that you are devoting your life to accomplish? What is it that you are devoting your life to accomplish? What's that call that the Lord has placed on you? For Timothy, it was preach the word. What's that call for you? The charge this morning is to do it. For some, we've had a, a season of desolate return on fruit through a pandemic where community was difficult, worship was challenging, evangelism and discipleship felt at times stagnant or it was going the wrong direction. Paul says out of season doesn't matter. Stay true to that one thing today. For some, your one thing is raising up the next generation. Whether that's in homes, whether that's in schools or in our children's ministry, devoting your life to the next generation is what you feel like the Lord has called you to give your lives to. I think of Kevin and Don Davies, who teach in our children's ministry. They faithfully invest in those kids year after year after year, teaching them how to handle scripture in the class, but also going to their games, their concerts, calling and checking in on them, even during the pandemic, doing class and staying in touch. 
I think of Vern Garrison, one of our elders, who seems to always have a group of guys or several groups of guys that he's spending his life investing into. For others, it's your neighbors or it's your workplace. Seeing those is not just a coincidence that God has, has led you to that place to live or to work, but intentionally spending your days investing in the people you work or live near. Whatever it is, the charge right here that we see in, in 2 Timothy 4, for you is to stay faithful to that purpose, both in seasons they're great and in seasons they're dry, where it's, you're discouraged, where it's unfruitful, knowing that the Lord will one day reward you for that faithfulness. Maybe today, as you look at a passage like this, you think about that question and you, you come to a place where you recognize that the best of your life isn't invested in ultimate things. You're not investing them where God would want you to. You're investing your best somewhere or in someone else. The passage doesn't say that you have to quit your job if that's where you're at this morning. Instead, perhaps what that means for you today is that you would make a conscious choice to be intentional about the way in which you look at your work. For others, you may see that you've put too much importance on your marriage or your kids. Seeing those relationships as ultimate rather than just priorities. One early Christian leader named St. Augustine called this disordered love, meaning that we often love less important things more and more important things less than we ought to. God invites us to love him above all else and to do that by finding purpose where he has placed us on purpose, by using all that we have, our gifts, our passions, possessions, opportunities, to seek to bring him glory. See, that's doxology. That's where we find our name. Every great story has a task. What is the one the Lord has put before you to accomplish? But secondly, every great story involves an obstacle to be avoided. An obstacle to be avoided. The evil forces of Sauron, the white witch in Narnia, the con men in Huck Finn. In Star Wars, the dark side and the way it internally um, causes a person to respond in anger or rage or hate. In verse 3 to 4, Paul identifies an obstacle that Timothy would have to avoid. Let's take a look. For he says there in verse 3, For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers and to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. This obstacle would be something in the future. Uh, that, that's what Paul seems to tell us. And he's not, he's not fortune-telling when he says this. He's not necessarily prophesying. Paul is likely drawing on his own experience and the response and the adversity he often encountered to his own teaching as he foresees a day that's coming for Timothy when people are not going to respond as he teaches the word the way that we would want. As a result, this is an example of the out-of-season that he's just mentioned to Timothy. This opposition is a time when corporately people would turn away from truth. And what we'd have to admit is that we all have a propensity to surround ourselves with people and answers that simply reinforce what we think. That's what he means by, by saying that they, they gather around them people who just tickle their own ears. That's what he's saying. But on the other hand, uh, what he also sees is a day is coming when people will gather around them, people who just proclaim the greatest. I don't want to hear what I've heard before. Tell me something new. <laughs> Sound like today? 
You know, Samuel Johnson, an 18th century author, has a great quote that I love. He said this, people need to be reminded more than they need to be instructed. People need to be reminded more than they need to be instructed. Paul knew this. In Titus, we see that he tells Titus to keep reminding or stressing to people the truths of the gospel so that they never get over it, that they never get over the truths of what Christ has done for them. That's one of the reasons we seek to share the gospel of Jesus every single week. The good news of what he has done, that Jesus has come for the lost. He's come for the broken, the desperate, the doubting, the discouraged. He's come for all of us. He doesn't remind us as he comes how bad off we are, how big of a chance he's taken on us. He doesn't hold it over our heads to make us promise to do better or give more effort so that this never happens again. That's not the good news of Jesus. See, Jesus' grace and his mercy is pursuing us again and again and again. It offers us hope and freedom and peace and acceptance and security and joy. It's a relationship with God that lasts forever. That's the good news that we need to hear, be reminded of again and again and again. Here Paul recognizes that a time would come when people would pursue teachers that would tell them what they want to hear instead of that message. See, curiosity for what's new rather than what's been said before. People are going to turn to what they want to hear more so than what they need to hear. Like Timothy, we each will face obstacles to the life God has called us to. What's the obstacle preventing you from fulfilling that task that the Lord has given to you? What's the obstacle preventing you from fulfilling the task the Lord has given to you? For some, it's external. You sense this pull of the world, whether it's a lack of time because of busyness or competing priorities that would cause you to not fulfill what God has for you. But for many of us, it's not something out there. It's something internal. It's this tendency to not live for God's glory. Or as the old hymn says, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. See, the obstacle is that flesh that we battle every day. That sin nature that, that battles for our choices, our actions, and our affections. You may look in the mirror and recognize that you don't love God most. How do you overcome whether it's the flesh internally or some external obstacle you face to living to accomplish the task the Lord has put before you, how do you overcome that? Well, remember that that doesn't happen through your own effort. We must find strength in God's grace, knowing in our weakness, God provides his strength to empower us to overcome. See, like Timothy, we all face obstacles to the life God has called us to. What's the obstacle standing in your way today? So there's a task to accomplish an obstacle to overcome. And finally, in verse 6 through 8, we see that every great story involves an example to be followed. Let's take a look. For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Now, in verse 6 and 7, Paul looks back and, and, and knows his language. He talks of his life being a drink offering. In other words, his life has been a sacrifice. He speaks of his departure. He knows his death is imminent as he sits in the cell in Rome. Then in verse 7, he gives three statements. He's fought the good fight. He's finished the race. He 
he's kept the faith. These aren't referring to different things he's done, but they're athletic metaphors, likely referring to the same task, that last one, that he's kept the faith. Now, when he talks about the faith there, here Paul probably has both the corporate faith or the beliefs that God gave him to teach to others, to entrust to others, um, that he's done. That the, he's entrusted those things with faithful women and men who have now taken it and passed it on to others. He's completed that task. But more than that, Paul is probably also thinking personally of that simple act of taking God at his word, that childlike faith that Paul had in the person of Jesus, that God invites all of us to, to simply trust him for this day and for this step. Paul's completed that, which is quite something when you think of how many people don't keep the faith, don't finish strong. We see it in scripture with people like Solomon, and we see it today as, as people get to the end and fall away from the faith. I heard Ed Setzer talk about how tragic it is to see people walk away from the faith, to not finish strong. And all around us, we could probably speak of family or friends who at one time had been walking with the Lord, but now don't. Paul finished strong. And in verse 8, Paul looks forward to a crown of righteousness that the Lord Jesus would award to him. But not just them, but, but to all who would live their lives with one eye looking at what they were focusing on in the present, but one eye looking to the future and his appearance. See, there was an urgency that Paul lived with, knowing how brief this life truly is. And if we're honest, it can be difficult to keep that urgency front of mind, right? How do we do that? I heard of one East Asia tribe where each person would build their own casket at 65. It sounds crazy, right? but they would leave it there next to their home as a vivid reminder that their end was near, that their days were numbered. We often need those types of visual reminders as well, though, don't we? What's that look like for us? See, the invitation for us is to live with the end in mind, a life of no regrets, a life of faithfulness, clinging to Christ to strengthen us until the end. Paul lived that life, always aware of his brokenness and God's grace in rescuing him and that led him to a joy about what was coming and the union he would experience when he would see Jesus face to face again. That joy and urgency at seeing Jesus allowed him to finish strong. That type of joy and urgency are what we need in our own lives. So like Timothy had Paul as an example, who is your example of someone who finished strong? See, here at the end of Paul's life, his focus is on the next story to be written, not on himself. Said he's urging Timothy to a life well lived. So how do we finish strong like that? Who are the people you're looking to as examples of faithfulness to the very end? I think of examples like my own mom, who kept the faith um, even in her last dying days. I think of friends like Tom McGoffin, who continues to give his life to serve others and share the good news of Jesus with them. I think of stories of people like Eric Little, and so many others who fought the good fight, who finished the race, who kept the faith. Who are the examples the Lord is using in your life of men and women who have finished strong? As encouraging as those examples are to us, ultimately any and all of our examples fall short though, right? Perhaps this morning as you think about friends or others who have walked away, uh, you get discouraged, even wondering if it's possible to finish strong. Despite all of those who did not finish strong, who walk away, who don't keep the faith, Jesus stands as our ultimate example of faithfulness. 
And this morning, for each of us, the invitation in Hebrews 12 rings so true of what Paul says here in 2 Timothy 4. For there we have the exhortation to fix our eyes on Jesus and to run with endurance, run with perseverance, run with faithfulness. The race set for us, whatever the call, the purpose that you have, to pursue it with effort to the very end as you set before your eyes the person of Jesus. We do that as we consider his perseverance for us as he endured the cross taking the penalty that we deserved for all of our sin, for all time. See, it all was placed on him, and he paid for it. Never saying it was too much, that he didn't want to go through with it, or that he was done with the task. Instead, he faithfully stayed the course. He fought the fight. He completed the task so that all could be invited to come. Whoever is thirsty, whoever wants to come, can come and experience life forever with God on the basis of what Jesus has done. Leaving a legacy of no regrets means a life of faithfulness to your call. Perseverance during adversity and endurance till the end, all strengthened by God's grace and rewarded in his presence someday. There's this old French story about a shepherd who wandered the valley near the Alps with his staff and a bag full of tree seeds. And as he walked, he would make holes with his staff, and he'd just drop a seed in them. Over the years and the decades of his consistent walking and traveling in this valley, he just kept dropping seeds, step after step, day after day, year after year. And over the decades that he devoted his life to this valley, it went from this, um, this woodland to this luscious, beautiful forest. No one else knew how it had happened. They thought it was this miracle of Mother Nature, but instead it was the devotion of one man who gave his life to one task that changed that place for everyone. So what's the one task God has called you to? Let us run faithfully and complete what the Lord has called us to, empowered by his spirit, focused on his word, and encouraged by one another, his people, to be able to say in the end, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. Would you pray with me? Father, we come before you and we thank you for your word that is true, it is alive, it is all that we need uh, for life, for godliness. And Lord, we pray this morning uh, for each of us, Lord, that you would give us eyes to see clearly what it is that you're placing before us to do. And Lord, that we would be faithful to do it. Lord, that you would empower us with your spirit. Lord, that you would surround us with your people who can help us to finish strong, to keep the faith, to run the race, to fight the fight that you've, you've put before us. Lord, we thank you for the person of Jesus. We thank you for his faithfulness, even when we're faithless. And Lord, would you allow us to keep our eyes focused on him and to run as he did with perseverance till, till the end. We pray these things in his name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Doxology Bible Church podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and give a review on iTunes. If you're ever in the Fort Worth area, we'd love to worship with you in person at one of our services. For more information on service times and location, visit doxology.church.